Hello, welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We're a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who simply love Jesus and want to journey through the ups and downs of our faith together. We're so glad you're here. We are so thankful to have our Venezuelan missionaries here with us today. Um, We are going to have... um, the whole Dye family, Johnny, Zandra, Julia, and Sophia, and their cousin, Angela. Um, Julia, Sophia, and Angela are going to sing for us today. We are so excited to hear from them. They sound beautiful. Um, they're going to lead us in a couple of songs, and then later, Johnny's going to share um, about Venezuela and the hope that they have and we can have even in uncertain times because of Jesus, and we are so thankful to be hearing that message from them. Um, so thank you for being here so much this morning, and we're so excited to worship with you. There's a name that can silence every fear. There's a love that embraces the heartache, the pain, and the tears. Sobrando aunque no te vea Sé que voy a salir de esta odisea 
Sé que voy a ganar esta pelea, sé que va a cesar esta marea temporaria, que en ti yo viviré una vida extraordinaria. Aunque no pueda entender, me consola saber que todo, yo sé que todo va a estar bien. Everything will be alright. The whole world's in his hands. The whole world's in his hands. In the darkness, in the trials, he's faithful and he's true. The whole world's in his hands. Todo va a estar bien. Oh, oh, oh. Everything will be alright. Thank you, ladies. Johnny, you want to come on up? Do you want to sit or stand? What's that? Sit or stand. What? I'm just going to sit here and chat for a minute. Uh, I wanted to make sure to say a special hello to Johnny because I've known him through Steve, my husband, having gone to college with Johnny. That was the first time I ever heard of the Dye family. And since then, because of your ministry, there are so many people in our lives that I've met from Venezuela. Now, I have to say, I won't rank them all, but maybe my favorite friends are the ones that cook amazing empanadas and arepas from Empanadas Aquí. You might have had them at my house before because I like to buy their food and cater there. And that's because of ministry here. There's a former missionaries that we used to support, Miguel and Alejandra Lara, And we met them also because of your ministry. So there's so many people I feel like in my life because of Johnny and Zandra. And so I'm so excited to have them here today. I want to make sure that they get to share their ministry story with us because we partner with them and we're excited about what they're doing for the Lord, sharing the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus in Venezuela. So at this opening session, I just wanted to ask you, Your wife is from Venezuela, but how did you get there, Johnny? <laughs> well, my parents are actually missionaries to Venezuela as well. Uh, uh, they've been missionaries. I was born in the mission field. I was born in Puerto Rico, and then they were in the Dominican Republic for a few years. And then finally we went to Venezuela in 1986. I was only a teenager at that time, and I went to Bible college where I met Steve and played soccer with him. And... Uh, then I decided to go back full-time to Venezuela because I, I just saw the, the need that uh, when God gives you certain gifts in life, you got to use them. So one of the gifts was uh, I knew the culture, I knew the language, and uh, I knew the people. So to not go to the mission field and just do ministry in the States, to me, was like I was wasting a lot of the resources that God had given me in life. So uh, it, was a, it was like an easy decision for me to go back. And I've been in Venezuela since 19... Oh, no, never mind, 1995, yeah, so like a lot of years, <laughs> full-time. So tell us, I want to hear a little bit about Venezuela as a country, and mm -hmm. then how COVID has shifted things. I know those are two big entities here, but we just share with some of us about what it's like in Venezuela right now, and what it was like in your ministry over the years. 
Yeah, well, originally when I went to Venezuela, Venezuela was one of the most, the richest countries in South America. Uh, they had the best economy. Uh, everybody was going to Venezuela. We have the best weather. It's 70 to 80 degrees all year round in Caracas. Uh, it's amazing. Um, so uh, when we first went to Venezuela, I mean, it was like a paradise to me because uh, people are really friendly, open to the gospel. Um, they have the Catholic background. And uh, even though they don't practice their faith so much, you know, but they believe in God. So it's easy to talk to them about God and then take them to the next step in their life and their relationship. So I, I like that about Venezuela and, and the culture was amazing. Uh, <clears throat> for the first time, like when you went to Venezuela, it's an oil producing country. So um, for like 25 years, we, we paid so for gas so cheap that I can't even tell you it was worth anything because it only cost a few cents to fill up your whole tank of gas. And that included the tip that you gave the guy at the pump that did the uh, filling it up for you. So gas is basically free, which is crazy, right? I mean, you like driving around or whatever, and everybody's always worried about gas. You know, gas prices, well, in Venezuela, they don't have that problem. And there's some awesome things about that. But uh, as the country went from, uh, as soon as I moved to Venezuela... Then a uh, uh, socialist government came in, and once they were in power, uh, after that, they became like a dictator because none of the elections uh, were, like, legit. And uh, so the same government's been in power now for, like, 20-some years now, and, uh, and that's changed the country around. We went to being one of the richest countries in the world to being now one of the poorest countries in the world. And uh, in Venezuela, to give you a, a, uh, just an example uh, a couple years ago, the inflation rate uh, for the for the country it wasn't like 10% inflation or or even 100% or even a thousand percent. We had two years where the inflation rate was one million percent that year. So two years in a row, it's like two million percent. You know, it's crazy. I mean, you can't even calculate that. And the way the government has dealt with that, they just take uh, they print new money all the time and they take zeros off of it. So Right now, the biggest bill is a 50,000 uh, bolivares, which I got one right here. But in the So how much was it worth, and how much is it worth now in our U.S. currency? Well, when they printed it out, this was worth probably about maybe a dollar, 50,000. But that, they printed this out two years ago, and now you need three, 4 million, right? It was 3 million when I left. It's 4 million bolivares. Uh, for one dollar, so it makes it hard to like even calculate how much stuff costs because when you start getting up there and paying something that's expensive, there's so many zeros involved. You're like, whoa, what is this number? You know, and that's that's after taking eight zeros they've taken off this, this, these bills. So if you add eight zeros to the fifty thousand, you know, you can do some math there, but that's a lot. Your calculator probably will give you an error or something like that. And that, you, and that would bring, like, lines of, of things to get to the stores, right? Like, what things? Well, obviously, you know, uh, the, the people, usually, the, like, the government will have your fixed income, like, minimum wage. You know, like they have maybe in the States a minimum wage. And they, as the inflation went up, they never, like, raised the minimum wage enough. So it got to a point that originally, I remember minimum wage was maybe... $500 a month or something like that, uh, which in, Venice, in South America was really good, one of the best countries. Now it's got, it got down even to less than $5 a month. 
for a family to live on if they were obviously living on minimum wage, which made people even quit their job and start doing other stuff and, you know, trying to make things meet in another way. So, yeah, it affects that, people not being able to buy stuff. But there's other problems. What you, what you mentioned, the shortage, uh, was because the government um, started uh, to give the food out free to the people. So it was all right. If you don't have to pay for gas, you don't have to pay for electricity or water, utilities, stuff like that in Venezuela. Uh, but at the same time, you don't get paid good in your job. So uh, the people ends up depending on the government to feed them, to, you know, provide bonuses and stuff like that. So you have to be with the government to get those benefits. You have to sign up with the government, have your little government card and stuff like that. So to be able to get some of those benefits. So the people rely on that to buy groceries, to get stuff like that, get these special box of foods and stuff like that. So um, it, it makes the system really uh, terrible. And eventually the companies like the big manufacturers like Procter & Gamble was down there in Venezuela. And actually when Procter & Gamble was in Venezuela, I talked to one of their guys and they said, We're, this is the, the, the second country other than the state that sells the most products in the whole world. Procter & Gamble in Venezuela, they were very su- successful. But uh, <laughs> they left the country because of the situation in Venezuela. And uh, many other companies left. So all of a sudden there was a day where all the food, we had to import everything instead of making it in Venezuela. So we went from being one of the richest countries in the world to one of the poorest countries in the world uh, just, you know, within a, with a few years. So that was kind of crazy. And that has changed our ministry a lot. Uh, like one of the things my wife Sandra kind of organized in the church, we have to, uh, instead of taking offering from people, I mean, we still take offerings and stuff that, you know, it came a point where, you know, we had to, with mission funds and stuff, we had to start feeding the congregation. You know, just to help them out because people were losing weight, like 30 pounds, you know, within that year that the economy crashed and stuff like that. Medicine was disappearing. People weren't, didn't have access to medicine. And um, so it's changed our ministry a lot. One of the things that got hurt the most is the public schools. Um, you know, teachers were being paid minimum wage. You can't survive on that. So the teachers said, you know, I'm not even going to go. Many times they didn't go to teach, you know, and uh the way the government set up, you can't fire a teacher in a, public, in a public situation. So even if the teacher doesn't show up to teach, you can't fire them. So they didn't want to show up. And you can't, uh, with the students, it's funny too, because you can't uh, fail a student. If they, if they show up, you know, once in a while at the school, if they just show up, you can't fail them. It doesn't matter what grades they get. They'll pass the next grade. So the students weren't coming, you know, or, or even if they came, they just hang out and did nothing didn't care about grades, and the teachers weren't coming, and it got so bad that this is one of the cool things that happened with ministry that opened the door that uh, one of our uh, members at our church worked as an assistant to the director, and the director's like, man, this is such a chaos. We got this mess. We don't have teachers. The kids are just going crazy in the school. We have no control, and, you know, I heard about your church. Is there any way your church can come and help us, you know, maybe teach classes or something like that? So she's like, oh, that's a great idea. So they contacted us, and, and we said, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, before, you know, to make the, sh- the story short, we started a church in the a chapel service for the kids in the school. Wow. And uh, we did that. We've been doing it, like, for two years. And then COVID hit, and then they closed down all the public schools in Venezuela, and they haven't opened them yet since March of 2020. So... Uh, it's, it's kind of a mess for education and everything, but they were so desperately 
needing hope, needing some kind of help that they would call the church to help out. And that, that was amazing. Is that amazing. usually, uh, is that a different attitude or, or do, they, do people see the church as a helpful resource? In the past, it, they never looked at the church as an option. But like in this chaos, you know, people just needing so much hope and, you know, trying to get, hold on to any kind of lifeline that people would offer them. And we're like, yeah, we, we're willing to help. We're willing to teach, you know, even classes for them. You know, we taught some English classes. We were teaching, you know, moral classes for the kids and everything like that. So um, this, this would never happen in the past. But because of this crisis, uh, it opened the door for us, which is awesome because God will even in the worst situations and crisis in our lives, you know, he, he, he can turn that around and work things out, you know, just like, you know, the song the girl is singing right now. Everything's going to be all right because the whole world is in, is in his hands. So um, that's kind of an awesome ministry. And we can't wait for the schools to open up so we can continue doing that. Is there a plan for that yet? Have they announced? They, they have not announced anything because it's still like one week they announce this. Maybe we're going to go back and then they keep changing their minds. So I don't know. It depends on the pandemic down there. Which is now the, you haven't been able to travel until this summer. Yeah, last year they even closed down the airports for six months uh, during the, like, from May to October or somewhere around there. So we didn't get to leave the country last year. And uh, so that was kind of strange. It's, we've never been, like, prisoners in a country. But, of course, another, we weren't the only countries. A lot of countries uh, were in lockdown and mm-hmm. stuff like that because of the COVID. So we were so excited to get out this year and... Uh, uh, just relax and come to the states and visit the churches and the family and all that. And how was ministry online for you? I saw I saw a neat story of a, a yeah, virtual yeah. baptism. Would you like to tell us that story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so obviously, when they closed down the churches, uh, we had to start doing everything by Zoom. You know, small meetings at church, a whole service from our homes. Uh, thankfully, the girls. I had a whole team with me. I mean, I had the worship team in my house. You know, and uh, so. Uh, we were able to do worship through the house and then reach out to ministry. And, uh, but we started using the Zoom like everybody in the world, I guess, started using it. And, uh, and, and a couple, and, and once we started using it, we realized, and people started coming to church online, um, a lot of things happened. One is many of our members left the country. Like maybe 50% of, the, our, of all of our congregations, we have about 40 congregations in Venezuela now. And uh, many of them have, like, maybe 50% have left, migrated to other countries. And um, so that's kind of a problem for our churches, but it's been good because God's using those people in all South America, you know, Europe, uh, even North America. I mean, people are going from our churches, and they're, they're basically being a light, you know, uh, uh, without, you know, maybe not having the calling to go, but they, they, they went because of the circumstances. So it's awesome that we're like a power... Uh, uh, sending power now that God used this problem for that. But a lot of those people, uh, you know, lost track with us and everything. But once we went online for the service, a lot of those members started connecting again from the different countries. So we had people, Guyana, uh, Belgium, Spain, uh, Argentina, Chile, uh, Panama, Dominican Republic, Mexico, United States, watching our service online. Some of our old, our old members were connecting again. And many of them were trying to send, like, even funds to help the situation in Venezuela. So that was awesome uh, with that situation. So that was one cool thing that happened. But the other thing was that uh, uh, we started, you know, reaching out and evangelizing people online, too. And uh, we had a case where uh, I actually uh, uh, 
baptize, help baptize somebody online for the first time ever. I never uh, imagined doing this, but this couple that was in Argentina, uh, the wife was a Christian from our church. She migrated. Her husband was not a Christian. And during that pandemic, he came to Christ. And, but they didn't know a local church. So they didn't know anything. So it's like, well, so what do we do? You know, uh, we're not going back to Venezuela just to baptize them and stuff. It's like, well, you're going to have to do it. We used their own bathtub. They had like a big jacuzzi in their house. And uh, we had to, he's like, just put the camera. I'll lead you. You can, you can do this, you know, to your home husband. So it was, it was cool watching that and being part of that and seeing how God can work uh, and even, you know, save lives even from such a distance, you know, using Zoom and everything. So that's. Just a couple things. The last thing that happened was mm-hmm. we started a church in the middle of the pandemic. We started a church. We started a church uh, doing the small groups online and everything. Um, the churches started growing. Those small groups started growing. And uh, as soon as the church, uh, the government said we can meet again in uh, October, opened up this group that was meeting, this new groups, new believers uh, that were meeting on the west side, just online and stuff like that. They said, hey, why don't we start? Or the congregation on this side of town because all the problems with transportation and everything. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, that's, that's a great idea. They came up with the idea themselves. It wasn't like, we're going to go plant the church on the west side of town. It just happened. So it just happened. So one of our, 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 one of our staff guys that's been kind of leading those Bible studies, you know, his name's Saul, great guy. And he's like, well, we're, we're going to start a church. Can we start a service? So they started a, a second service over there. Uh, in that part of town, and it took off right when they opened up from pandemic. So uh, that was amazing. They're averaging about 35 people from other small groups in that side of town. It's, it's and amazing. you said there are several congregations. Now, how many are? Yeah, the since we've been there, we first went down with a group of missionaries with Tim Expansion, mm-hmm. and uh, since 1986, when my parents were the first ones to get there, uh, there's been almost 40 congregations planted uh, during this time. So. Some of them are actually out of Venezuela now, which is uh, churches like that. Tenerife, a, a group of people uh, went from the churches in Venezuela and went to plant in hmm. Spain. And uh, there's uh, other churches in, in Spain, too. Now there's like three congregations in different parts of Spain that have come out from this church plans. So are they all separate? Like, is your role in one particular church? Describe yeah, they're all separate. We do have like a really close relationship. We do our... Uh, we have like a Bible seminary we do together. We do four conferences uh, every year together, like a men's conference. We do a women's conference. We do a youth conference, and then we do a uh, uh, missions conference all together. And uh, so we get all the churches together for that event and any other special things that we do. Uh, we used to do the camps, uh, mm-hmm. but that, we haven't been able to do that for a while. But all the youth camps, we did them together. But each church is pretty much has their own leadership now. Okay. And... Um, the pastors, we all meet, you know, once a month, and we kind of cast a vision. And, mm-hmm. and uh, where is your church based? Uh, ours is in Caracas. It's uh, right in the center, Easter center, part of Caracas. So, but there's a, in Caracas, there's maybe about 10 of these congregations. Um, the other ones are outside of Caracas, outside of farther away in the different states, and then outside of the country, too, now. Okay, and then what's the, what's the city like what's the population is that the biggest city in venezuela yeah caracas uh, used to be the last census they did was six million people in the city so it's a it's a big place uh 
And it's not as wide. It's like a valley. So everything is like they build everything up in big high-rise buildings to fit everything. But because of people leaving the country, I know that that's, that number has gone down a lot. Maybe, maybe 20% or, or 30 has mm-hmm. gone, you know, the population in Caracas. But mm-hmm. it's still a huge city, you know, and there's a lot of people that need the Lord and trying to reach them is, is, is a great task. Mm-hmm. So. Well, thanks for sharing a bit about Venezuela. We're going to have the girls come up and lead us in another song. And then Johnny's going to bring us a message of hope and what what it's been meaning for their family to share Jesus in Venezuela, what hope we can still have from Jesus in ourselves.
love that song. Don't you love that song? It's, it's to realize that God's always been there. You know, uh, even though we don't see him sometimes, uh, he's working. And like some of the stories I talked about, you know, uh, even in this crisis in Venezuela, God's used it to send out people to other parts of the world, to open ministries, to start churches, to reach people. So that, that idea of, of, of hope, you know, God is the hope. And especially in times of trials, like, well, you, you know, we've been through pandemic and Venezuela has been through even worse trials of, of many other countries in the world. But um, the idea of the God is, is, is a hope uh, for us, you know. Uh, what gives me hope after all these years? I mean, I feel like uh, why I keep doing this is because to see people uh, reached, saved, is, is, is the most important thing for me. Today's my birthday. Uh, I don't know if anybody knew that, but you didn't mention it, right? Okay, so happy birthday to me. You know, I was, I'm expecting a cake at the end of the service, right? That was, but, uh, you know, every time it's somebody's birthday, you, you're always like, you know, what do you want for your birthday? My mom's asking me, what can I get you for your birthday? People are asking me what to, what do I want? And I'm like, what do I, what do I want? What do I need? And the thing that I want the most uh, in life is to see other people find hope. I mean, that's like, that's what fills me up. Seeing other people saved. Like when, when I, I talked about the story, guy, the guy getting saved over, over a Zoom call, you know, and getting baptized from distance. That, that just like brought me so much joy. You know, seeing people that have no hope find Jesus, find out hope. That's, that's what excites me, you know. Just yesterday I got a phone call from somebody in Venezuela and they said, you know, <laughs> my son finally is asking about Jesus. He's finally asking about being saved. Uh, I, I think we finally turned the corner because it's a mom that's been, that came to Christ about two years ago. But the kids uh, never went to church or anything. And she finally came to Christ thanks to uh, soccer and Julia playing soccer. Uh, her daughter uh, met, played soccer with my daughter and uh, eventually ended up in our church. So the parents got baptized to make the, short, uh, the story short, short. But their son that was 19... He was in that stage, you know, that rebellious kind of age thing. And he didn't like the idea of everybody becoming Christian in his home and have this, all these moral things and new, new code in, in, in life. So he was being really rebellious and everything. So this has been like two years, and he has like, I, don't, I want my old mom back. I want my mom that was, you know, that wasn't so fanatic about Jesus and stuff like that. But then this week he called her. He's like, Mom, I, I, I'm scared. I, at, at night I'm dreaming about things, you know, spiritual stuff. I'm scared and I don't understand what's going on. Can you pray for me? And she's like, well, what you need is Jesus. You know, you need to pray. You need to ask Jesus into your life so you don't be scared. He's living. He's playing soccer also in one of the, uh, the, the cities that has a lot of occult and uh, really uh, Really bad practices there. They go up on the mountain and they have all these rituals and stuff like that. And he's living in the town. And the, and the soccer is, uh, the city he's at is right in that famous mountain that's full of this uh, witchcraft and all that kind of stuff that goes on there. And he's starting to feel that he hears things. Some of his players on this team are involved in this kind of witchcraft called Santeria. So he's all scared. And it was like 3 in the morning. He's calling his mom in Caracas and saying, you know, you need to pray for me. You need to change. So these stories, you know, how people that, that need Jesus and are finding hope and they're, it, it just makes me excited. So I got to talk to him a little bit uh, 
uh, by text message yesterday. But I'm excited because I think I'm going to be able to talk to him in person by a call and uh, really lead him to Christ, uh, help him find that hope that he's looking for. So that's what excites me. I don't know if you guys saw the, the news at the beginning of, the, of, of, the, uh, of last month, about a month ago, you know, that building collapsing in, uh, in Surfside, Florida, you know, in Miami. Uh, and when I first saw that news, I was like, whoa, that's terrible. And the first thing I was thinking, hopefully they'll find. There was like 100 people missing. And I was like, hopefully they'll be able to find some of those people, dig them out, you know, in time. And, and hours were passing, days were passing, and I was all nervous, you know. There was a storm coming in, I think. There was like a hurricane. It was hot over there. I was like, how is those people feeling, you know, if there's anybody still alive, if they're still trapped there? I mean, something happened. It was like 3 in the morning when the building came down on there, right? And, uh, and now I'm all... I mean, I'm sure you guys were all, it was on the news a lot. You guys are all worried about it. And if you're like me and you're like, oh, what can we do? How can, I hope they find, you know, answer. I hope they can, there's hope for, there's families that had hope that their, you know, their son, their daughter, their mother would be saved or anything like that. That, that idea, it just moves me. I don't know if it moves you. So it was on the news a lot. So I think it moves almost anybody. It doesn't matter what religion you are. And, uh. Unfortunately, and you know, it's been a month, you know, 98 people are confirmed dead of that. I don't know if anybody was saved, except for the first day. I think they found somebody on the first day. But basically, all those people were lost, you know. And it, and it breaks my heart to think that this happens. I was visiting my friend Todd. He went to school with uh, Steve and I, too. And uh, he's in Indianapolis. I was sitting down next to him, and he's like... Do you remember that time uh, that we stayed at a hotel in Florida and we, let, we gave you guys like that a few days free at this resort thing, hotel? Yeah, it's like, yeah, of course I remember. That was awesome. It was right, right on the beach front and everything. It was amazing. What well, do you remember where it's at? And, and I was like, mm, vaguely, it was like seven years ago. It's like, well, if you remember right, it's, it was in Surfside. I was like, okay, that rings a bell. <laughs> yes, look at this picture. And he shows me the picture. And the building, the hotel next to the building that was collapsed. I mean, I, I have the picture. I didn't bring it with me. I don't know if you have any pictures over there in the internet. But look it up. There's a hotel right next to it. He says, I, that's where we stayed. That's where you stayed for a week. I was like, I recognize there was a pool. It was a satellite Image, yeah, there's that pool right next to where the building came down. I was in that pool. I was in that jacuzzi. I was in that balcony looking across at the part of the building that came down every day. And I was worried because I, cannot, I was worried. Can they see in the windows? You know, <laughs> we didn't have the view to the ocean. We had this building in front. So I was every day I was looking at this building and was wondering, you know, who lived there? You know, if they're looking back at me or whatever. I remember sitting out on the porch and singing worship songs in the morning. Before the girls were up and everything. I had no idea. I wish I could go back in time and know, you know, this building's going to collapse. You know, so like, what, what would I do? Would I, you know, would I go and try to tell people, hey, move out of here. This is going to happen. What would you do to try to help the rescue? And the thing is, in our spiritual life, it's just the same, you know. We know what's going to happen. It's not like uh, like trying to, you know tell the future event like this case but the bible tells us what's going to happen there is an end i mean jesus is coming back 
There's people that are going to be lost. And, and we know that it's going to happen. And many people, are the, it's the building in front of us. You know, it's the people that we cross every day. It's the people we sit down with and have a meal with. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't register. I mean, I wish I could go back and yell at them and say, move out of this building. And you need, this, this building's coming down. But, but now I can do something about it. I know that people that are without Christ, you know, are not going to, it's not going to be a good ending for them. So for me, that my biggest passion, what brings me hope and what keeps me going is that that same song, like that we sang a little while ago, it's, it's always been him. People need him. It's all, it's all about Jesus. It's all about rescuing. The verse that, the, one of my favorite verses, Luke 19, verse 10. And you know, this is the story right after Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was this little uh, um, person that was lost. He was a tax collector. And he was a sinful man. He was Jewish, you know, collecting taxes for the Romans. Uh, but he was Jewish, so he was an outcast among his own people. The Romans didn't like him. He, his own family didn't like him. He was, in a lot, he was in bad situation, and his faith was probably bad, too. He didn't have a relationship with God because he was, like, cut out from the, from the temple and, and from worship, you know. So, but Jesus comes, and Zacchaeus climbs this tree. You know, this little man climbs a tree and he's saying, well, you know, probably nobody's going to be looking at me or whatever. I, I'm, I don't want to be seen by many. But Jesus looks up and sees him. And he sees him because he knows what a wreck his life is. He knows that destruction is in his path. He's already experiencing that. And he says, come down. I'm going to your house. Jesus goes to his house. You know, Zacchaeus gets converted, gets saved, changes immediately. He starts giving money away. He, you know, starts... Changing his life and starts living a life that he always dreamed of. Because he got hope in his life now. It changed everything for him. I like the way the story ends in in, uh, verse 10. And Jesus says, you know, I have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus declares the purpose. Declares what he wants for his birthday. (laughs) Declares why he came to earth. It's to seek and save. It's to rescue people. That is his passion because there's nothing else matters. I mean, when that building came down in Surfside, for weeks we have uh, one of Sandra's cousins lives in that same uh, neighborhood. And she says there was all kinds of of rescues and news people and churches trying to bring uh, food and water and trying to help out. The only thing that mattered was can somebody be saved from this rubble? Do we have the same passion, you know, to see people saved like Jesus had, you know? Because it's, it's not just a fun thing to do. It's they need hope. They need somebody to save. It reminds me of a story. You probably heard this one, but 1988 um, in Armenia, a similar story happened. This was, a, uh, this was an earthquake that hit Armenia pretty hard. 25,000 people died in this earthquake. And uh, this father, uh, as soon as the earthquake kicked, it was a hit. It was in the middle of the day. Kids were in school. And he said, oh, no, I need to run to school and see how my kid is. And he runs to the the school, and he finds that the the school's flattened. I mean, it has collapsed. You know, there's 
nothing left there. And he's desperate. Other parents get there and they're like, oh, they start. Everybody's crying and mourning. You know, we lost our kids. And he's like, you know, I, I, I can't just give up. I promised my son that I would always be there when he needed me. And if there's a chance that my son's alive, you know, I'm going to do everything to find him. And he started just moving rocks and, you know, eight hours passed, 12 hours passed, 16 hours, 24 hours passed, 30 hours passed, 34 hours, 36, nothing. He's just moving. There's no sign. Everybody's pretty much giving up. There's other chaos going around the city. So the rescuers are like trying to go other places. But this father kept looking, digging because he had made a promise to his son. The 38th hour. He moved this big stone. And as he moved that stone, he cried out, Armand, can you hear me, Armand? The name of his child. And he hears a voice coming back from that, from the rubble that said, Dad, it's me. It's me, Armand. I'm all right. I told my friends That it was going to be all right. Because you promised that you would always be there for me. They were able not only to rescue that little boy. But 13 other classmates that had somehow miraculously get trapped in a little bubble space there in their classroom. And that kid was saved. Because the dad kept his promise. Right? Because the kid... Gave the other kids hope. Don't worry. My dad's going to come. He's going to help us. He's going to find us. And that, that's the story about the gospel. God has promised us. He, gonna, he wants to save us. You know. And we need to have that hope that he's going to be there for us. And we need to be that hope for other people too. We should have the same passion that Jesus had. You know. He wanted to seek and save the lost. I mean, that says we we dig in, we're going through the rubble. It doesn't matter what a chaos it is. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, when you when I saw pictures of that Surfside place, it's like nothing makes sense. There's wires and rebarbs and cement. It's just where do you start? And in our life, we feel like, like, where do I start? Where do I start helping people? Do people even want to be helped? And we don't know where to start sometimes. But we know people need this. We know the end of the story. We just can't sit around, you know. I know the Olympics, everybody's watching the Olympics now. Everybody forgot about this other story. Everybody's hope is now to win a medal. Venezuela won a couple silver medals. We're excited. We never win anything. We won BMX bike. I didn't know that was a thing. We won a silver medal for that. Uh, Weightlifting, we won that too. Apparently, we're, we're looking for gold. We got the, the girl that can do the triple jump. She's like the best one in the world. We're expecting her to win gold. It's going to be probably the only gold we get. I think it's today or one of these days. But we, we have this hope, you know, of getting these medals and stuff. What if our hope is to see other people find Jesus? To see other people find a true, lasting hope? That's my birthday wish. I wish it's... All of us as a church, we have that passion. This is why we are involved in evangelism. This is why we're involved in missions. It's not just a local. It's, you know, it's local and far away. It's everywhere, right? So 
I just wanted to share that with you guys. We're going to go into a time of communion right now. And uh, think about that hope that how God rescued you. And then think and pray, God, how can you help me rescue other people? Johnny said we're going to do a time of communion as we do every week. And we're going to have a couple of Echo friends come down here and serve at our tables. And we're just going to take some time to remember that hope and remember that rescue that Jesus provided for us. And so every week we, we take a piece of bread and remember the body of Jesus. We take a cup of juice and remember the blood of Jesus and how he came to rescue us. You can come down when you um, feel ready. We have bread and we have new glass cups this week you can leave them when you're done in the pew there before you when you're finished and let me pray for us god thank you for caring about all of us for seeing us when we're hurt for seeing us when we're hopeful for seeing us when we're in despair help us to be that message of hope this week Thank you for Jesus, for the love he showed, the important people, for the love he showed, those who were hiding. We thank you for his rescue in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I find one of the things that faith offers to us is perspective, because we tend to lack that, right? Like, we get so wrapped up into our own world that it's tough for us to see something that exists exists outside of that. And that's actually one of the reasons I, I'm so grateful that the Dye family was with us today and able to talk about the lived experience that they've had, especially in recent years, but over the course of their ministry, because I think it provides perspective, right? Like, I, I get angry when the Wi-Fi is a little slow in my house. Like, I've I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm going through every piece of equipment and unplugging and plugging just to make sure I can get the speed I want. And yet there's other people around the world dealing with no food and million percent inflation and so many different things. And I sometimes need that check to pause and just say, what are you doing? Like there's something bigger than Steve in this world and you need to nestle into that. So I, I really, I, I just enjoyed the day, but I have a personal reason. It was 27 years ago this month that Johnny and I met for the first time. And when I met him, I don't know if I liked him at the time either, but uh, now I consider him a very good friend. And it was 17 years ago, a couple months ago, that I was in Caracas with a group of people with their church and seeing their ministry and, uh, and Xandra was very, very pregnant with Julia at the time. So it was even before the family w was formed at that. But uh, one of my best memories was at the church, they let me speak at Sunday night church. And Johnny's like, hey, I'll translate. I was like, no, you won't. I was like, I'm preaching in Spanish. And I sure enough, like, scripted out, like, on two pages, like a sermon in Spanish that was the most brutal sermon that was ever delivered there was like some old woman in the front row like just like this american is killing our language and uh and, and uh and by the way the the church in which they meet the Alaska church like doesn't it i always think it kind of looks like this in the front 
So whereas Julia's picking on the guitar here, they let me sing uh, a song, and I played a song, and I've actually got a picture of that. Some of the most, uh, and again, it's that perspective, right? It brings it back to this point. So what we want to do now is just have a time of prayer for the dies. We support them, we partner. When you give to Echo, part of that goes to bless their ministry. And again, it's not just Caracas and ministering in Venezuela, but now there's a whole network that is spreading around um, the globe of people that are benefiting from that ministry. And we at Echo have a small tr- part to partner in that. And even though we want to pray, this is what the audience participation aspect of this. I want you to pull out your phone, and maybe you're the uh, Apple Notes people, or I use a little <laughs> app called Captio to take my notes. I want you to pull out your phone right now to take notes, because I want us to pray this week for these people. And when I say these people, I'm going to give you three things to pray about, and the first one is Venezuela. So in your phone, I want you to write, praying this week for Venezuela. And by the way, uh, I've I've watched this, Vox.com has a a series of videos on Venezuela that talks about what has happened over the past 25 years, and I got to see it on the front end of uh, Chavez's socialism come in, and it was this beautiful European place that just had excess and very little want, and now that's the inverse. And if you get a grasp of what's happening there, this is a geopolitical issue, but it is impacting because the more you understand Venezuela, the the more you'll understand. Number two, I want you to pray for El Bosque Church, uh, B-O-S-K-U-E, which is the church that this... Let me think. Would they be meeting right now? Because I forget the time change. Are they meeting right now? At one. I always forget. I can't do the time change, but it's a two-hour time change. Is it really? Man, I just, okay, sorry about that. So here today, that church will be meeting. I love that church because I was, I was able to, that was a blessing for the pandemic in a way. I got to watch services there, and there was a guy that I taught Euchre to in Spanish named Luis who is still ministering at this church now, and he's got a family now. So he was a little teenage punk kid at the time. And again, one of the greatest, greatest things I've ever done in life is, is teaching somebody to play euchre in Spanish when my Spanish is just the worst. So, But that church is a vibrant, a vibrant place in the city of Caracas, a beautiful city, and they will be worshiping today. I want you to pray for that congregation and the ministry and the people there. And then the Dye family, D-Y-E, and, it's, and you can look on our website if you want to type out everybody's name, from Sophia to, to Johnny to Zandra to Julia. And you know, one of the reasons I want to pray is that Julia is going to be a senior this year, and she is figuring out colleges, and chances are she's going to come to the United States, and that family is in the midst of all the change, going to have even more change. I'm trying to make you cry, Zandra, because that's a, that is a tough change in life. But the thing that I love about this family is that they have dedicated their lives to telling people about Jesus. As Johnny said, it's so that others may come to find that joy. And there's so many people in this world, beyond our limited network, that need a little hope. And you are partnering in their work. Will you pray for them this week? And then I want this. Will you all come forward right now and I just want to be able to pray for you all and then we'll be dismissed do I have any announcements you will have announcements
I'm on a need to know basis, and this is what I need to know. You can't take a picture and be prayed for at the same time. I'm joking, sorry, Sandra. This is how I am, no, I get it. Very grateful, will you guys pray with me? Lord and heavenly Father, we give you praise right now for your son, Jesus, because he is what we are not. He is the hope that we need, to whom we cling. And in the midst of the craziness of our lives, Father, help us to remember his goodness, his love, his grace, and how he changes everything. And that's why I lift up this family right here. I thank you so much for their faithfulness in the midst of a challenging and difficult time in our world, they are standing as a beacon of light in a very dark place. And I ask for their safety. I ask for their comfort. I ask for their strength and fortitude. And I ask that they continue to give themselves selflessly to this valuable work. I pray for El Bosque, the congregation that is worshiping today, my, our sisters and brothers there with whom we will get to worship in eternity. And I'm hoping how this works out in some sort of same common language so that we can just be one together in your presence because we know there's something more to this, Father. And we're all on our way there. Just guide that church as it does ministry in a very challenging place. Father, we're all broken. We all need hope. Thank you for the hope that you provide to us. We're grateful. We're not worthy, but we know we're worthy in your sight because of the love and grace of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Echo Church. If you ever want to join us in person, we're located in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. That's E-C-H-O church dot O-R-G. Have a great week.